The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. And the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. There's a little bit of rebel in that relishes relishes in this image of Jesus taking on the establishment and disrupting the status quo. It's tempting to stop there. But if we dig a little deeper into John's account, we find lessons on the interaction between the holy and the mundane, lessons on how to view our current experience, and lessons on how we are to entrust our hearts. Let's begin with the interaction between the holy and the mundane. Our other readings today focus on the goodness of the law, the way that God has revealed his holiness and provided ways for the nation of Israel to encounter him. If we look, we might even summarize the entire Levitical regulations as the way that Israel is to prevent death from coming into contact with life. Coming into contact even with the things that represent death makes one unable to come into the presence of the Holy One. These laws drew strict lines between the holy and the mundane. We fast forward a few thousand years to the temple system at the time of Jesus. This line between the holy and the mundane extended even to the money that would come into the temple and the animals that could be offered for sacrifice. Now at the Feast of Passover, Jesus comes into the temple courts where a market had been set up to sell animals for sacrifice and exchange money for the offering. The holy and the mundane had become so separated that the holy scarcely interacted with the daily lives of the people. No longer was the sacrifice from my own herd, no longer a connection between life and worship. Even if I did produce grain and livestock, I would sell it and use the proceeds to come to Jerusalem and buy a different animal in the temple market for the sacrifice. While this 
is far more efficient. It seems something has been lost. Jesus comes and he clears out this market, sends them away and quotes from the messianic vision of the prophet Zechariah. There shall no longer be trading in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. Zechariah has said at the end of his prophetic book that on that day when Jerusalem is redeemed, even the bells on the harnesses of the horses will be called holy. Even the common pots and pans of the kitchen would be as holy as the utensils used in the temple. No longer will the presence of death be contagious. Instead, the holiness of God will be contagious and bring life even to death. In Christ, the Holy One has come to inhabit the mundane. And it's interesting that the people around Jesus don't ask, what are you doing? Instead, they ask, what sign do you show us for these things? How can we know that this is the day? How can we trust in this promise? It's a question we still ask today. How can I know that God is at work? How can I trust what I am seeing and what I am hearing? But John provides us with some tools for discerning the presence and activity of God in our daily lives. We first see the disciples. They look back and they reflect on the events through the lens of scripture as they recall the messianic promise of the psalmist that zeal for my house will consume me. They look back and they recall, as Jesus is risen from the dead, the promise of the destruction and the raising of the temple of his body. Next, we notice that John has recorded the question of those who are nearby. What sign do you show? He records this immediately after he describes the first of the seven signs recorded in his gospel. Signs of healing, of provision, and of power. Signs that show the power and presence of the Holy One in the very midst of the mundane. Signs that John has recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. The disciples look back into scripture. John looks around to see the signs of the kingdom breaking in. And Jesus looks ahead to that most powerful of signs. Jesus describes his authority in the events of the day in the language of the cross and the resurrection. And so, even today as we find ourselves asking, how can I know that God is at work? How can I trust what I am seeing and what I am hearing? We can take the time to look back on the events of the days and the weeks and the years through the lens of scripture and recall how God has indeed been at work. How the steadfast love of God revealed in scripture is still at work in our lives. We can take the time to prayerfully look around and see the signs of the kingdom breaking in around us. We can recognize the healing and provision and power of God in the midst of our mundane existence. And we can look at all these things through the lens of the cross and the resurrection. 
looking ahead to the fullness of the kingdom as Jesus comes again in glory. I've had a lesson on the interaction between the holy and the mundane, a lesson on how to view our current experience. And now we have a lesson on entrusting our hearts. John concludes this account of Jesus at the temple with the observation that many of the people in Jerusalem believed in his name. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. We could read the rest of John's gospel as an explanation of this very phrase. We would see that Jesus does not trust himself to anyone or anything other than the Father. He finds his worth and his value only in the Father. He does not define success by the size of the crowds that gather around him or by the approval and acceptance of the elite and powerful. Instead, Jesus defines success in terms of doing the will of the Father. Jesus knows that he will be betrayed and abandoned even by those closest to him. And yet he still welcomes them into his company because he has entrusted himself to the Father. And on the night of his betrayal, Jesus invites the disciples to entrust themselves to the Father as well and promises the Holy Spirit as a comforter and guide. Jesus may not have needed anyone to bear witness about the nature of our humanness. But if we need any confirmation beyond our own experience, Paul described well our own wretchedness in our reading from Romans today. And yet, again and again, like Paul, I find myself not doing the things that I want to do and doing the things I do not want to do and being confused even as I say that. I find myself searching for worth and value success and identity in people instead of in God. I find myself desiring the love of others more than the love of God. This is why it is so important for me and so important for you that we are able to come together in worship each week and remind one another of the love of God, to come together and be nourished in prayer and in thanksgiving to hear the invitation once again to entrust ourselves to the Father by the Son through the Spirit as we come to this table, as we abide in Christ and Christ abides in us, as we participate in the great Eucharistic, ministry, the great Eucharistic mystery, being gathered, blessed, broken, and given, as we know our worth and value in these words. This is my body given you. And so we have let John teach us today about the way that the good news of Jesus brings a contagion of holiness as the sacred inhabits the mundane. The way we can discern the presence and activity of God in our midst as we view our circumstances through the lens of scripture, the signs of the kingdom, and ultimately the cross and resurrection. We have heard the call to entrust ourselves to the Father alone. And now as we are sent out into the world as the body of Christ, I'd like to share two insights from yesterday's Diocian Young Adult Conference 
that I think pull together these lessons in my mind. First, the call to recognize the difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit that calls us to repentance, redemption, and reconciliation. Condemnation, on the other hand, is the lie of Satan that tells us we are beyond hope. Conviction tells us this is not good. Condemnation tells us you are not good. Let us be convicted and not condemned. Second was the observation that hiding in shame prevents us from coming to God for healing. As we recognize the contagion of holiness, no longer do we have to be hidden in our sin, but we are alive in our healing. And when the church is at its best, we do allow the sacred to transform and make holy the mundane. We recognize the power and the presence of God among us in healing, transforming, and providing. And we entrust ourselves to the love of the Father and the Son.